Welcome to Pastimes. I'm your host, Alex Wood, also known as Destroyer H6 um, uh, in the NASCAR online community. Um, first off, I believe I mentioned this in the video yesterday, but I'm going to reiterate it today. If I message you on Twitter uh, regarding uh, anything I may have helped you out with for Christmas, um, matter of fact, at the time of recording, I don't know if I'll have a video up. Uh, the day prior to this going out, but this is if you're watching or listening via YouTube. Uh, you're, if you haven't gotten your gift um, or whatever, um, it's on the way. If you have, um, let me know. Just uh, put a comment down below or send me a message. So today I am joined by who I believe is an absolute legend of NASCAR. He currently is, well, he is the father of the driver of the number seven, Spire Motorsports Chevrolet, former announcer for NASCAR and ESPN and ABC in select races, two-time NASCAR Bush Series champion, Randy LaJoy. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you, Alex? I'm doing quite well. So uh, for those of you who don't know, Randy, uh, Randy, if you could uh, just uh, introduce yourself, kind of tell us a little bit about your career and um, anything else you'd like everybody to know. Well, I started out as a kid watching my dad race in New England. Uh, Don LaJoy is a legend, a Hall of Famer in the New England area. Uh, so I started go-kart racing 12 years old, moved into NASCAR, not NASCAR, but the, the modified series. Uh, you had to be 18 to start racing when I started. Uh, so 18 years old, I started racing. And uh, I did it until I was 47 years old. And uh, you always lose more than you win. But I did win some and then got a couple championships, been put in a couple Hall of Fames, which is an honor because you don't wake up when you're 12 years old and say, hey, I want to be in a Hall of Fame. Uh, I just wanted to go have fun. And racing has been a lot of fun. Watched a lot of great race car drivers. Still, I'm, I'm just a race fan. Uh, so now I'm back to the race fan mode. But race fans, looking from the outside in, there's still people getting hurt. And they shouldn't be. Uh, I've been to way too many funerals. And I'm trying to stop that uh, any way I can. By, by the, the knowledge I've learned being the crash test dummy. The knowledge I've learned with NASCAR. Working with them on their safety protocols. Oh, yeah, the internet connection's unstable again. Uh, but, like I tell a lot of people, uh, you know, race car drivers, when you sign into a racetrack, it's like you're playing Russian roulette. If you have a system in place, all your safety systems, it's not just one thing. So, if you have a system in place, you could be a Ryan Newman, Corey LaJoy in Daytona. That was a vicious wreck. Both of those boys were okay. And Romain Grosjean, a Formula One guy, he would not be here if his system wasn't good 
in his car. And by systems, I mean belts, helmets, head and neck, padding, uh, belt placement, everything that goes together. That man wouldn't have been here. You know, NASCAR has learned a lot. We haven't lost a driver since Earnhardt in 01. Why? Because they did a thorough investigation on what happened to him. Well, the whole country knows, the whole world knows what happened to him. He moved too far. He didn't have a head and neck on, and he snapped his neck, basal neck fracture. So I don't want that to happen to anybody uh, because it's, it's vicious. Uh, so after Earnhardt, you know, the whole world knows how to be safer. And it just it's mind-boggling to me when I go to racetracks and there's still people with no containment, no head and neck restraints. I believe the racetrack shouldn't let them in. That's my thought. Don't let that guy come in, play Russian roulette with all the bullets in the chamber. No, don't do that. When, when your systems are correct, you take bullets out of the chamber. I probably wouldn't mind playing Russian roulette if there was no bullets in the chamber. But that's probably the only way I would play. Yeah, you know, uh, first off, we lost you for a second, but that's fine. You know, that's going to happen probably. But uh, I definitely agree that NASCAR has taken a lot of the safety innovations definitely into effect. And that's kind of like what I've seen with your company. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about your new company that you're working with? Well, the the choice seating that uh, I started 23 years ago now uh, as something that nobody would build the seat that I wanted. My dad purchased this style seat from the late Mark Donahue. Uh, 1971, we were at a car show. My dad sat in Mark's car and said, wow, this thing is really comfortable. Uh, so my dad purchased one from Mark, and he would make his own for his modifieds that he was driving and, and other people out of fiberglass. So that's what I used when I started. Uh, 1994, NASCAR said, hey, no more fiberglass seats in NASCAR. They're, they're not strong enough. And we, won't, we don't want them to crack. Even though I had a frame built around it, I said, okay. So nobody would build that form-fitted seat for me. They all wanted to build me a square seat that was uncomfortable and didn't fit. I said, well, I could build a better seat. Uh, so I invested a lot of time and a lot of money to get stampings made. And I really thought that I would have the whole market. Well, I'm, I'm, there's a price point in there, and racers are cheap. At the end of the day, they they're, they're, they think they're a gladiator. They don't think they're going to get hurt, uh, but they could. Uh, my product is better than the other products, so it costs more. Well, there's a lot of people that, that are really worried about nickels, uh, and I'm as lean as I can get uh, to offer a, a good product. So you know, I might not sell as many seats as, as the other guys that I'm in competition with, but then again, my seats last forever. I guarantee them. Uh, so it, it's a seat company that, number one, has, I don't want to see a driver get hurt. And it's a, it goes to show how smart Mark, Mark Donahue was back in 1970 when he built this. Oh, yeah. So it's just a takeoff of what he did. Yeah, Mark Donahue, he was smart. You know, you know, a lot of guys out there like yourself, and I, I reference this guy a lot, it, Johnny Benson, who's had some injuries, his ribs twice in 2002, and then those burns at Berlin out of all tracks and in 09, a race I went to, because uh, I don't know if I shared with you, I am from uh, Michigan as well, southwest Michigan to be exact. Cool. So, um, but, um, so... 
can I tell us like what led you from the local tracks to boom NASCAR? Well, uh, when I race started in Danbury, Connecticut, uh, they shut down after two years. Uh, they, they went into the people were selling the stuff off for shopping malls. So they must've made a kind of deal with the guy that was running the place. I mean, Danbury was an, a, a, a place that I haven't seen anything like it in the country. And I've been to 150 racetracks. On a Saturday night, they would have anywhere from six to 10,000 people. The racers got, their purse was made up of 40% of the gate. Uh, so my dad was the all-time feature winner there. I think he ended up with like 60 wins uh, there. And I can remember him coming home from a, a mid-season 50 lapper, you know, okay, with, with six, $8,000 of money to, that he won. And today, people don't get that much for, for winning races. Uh, but it was amazing that the, the groups of people, you know, yeah, I had the Chick Stockwell fans, you had the Kenny Webb fans, you had the Rip Patchen fans, the Bob Riley, the Donald Joy, the Jimmy Smiths. And it was amazing how the, the, the fans each had an area in the grandstand. And it was, it was a cool way to grow up watching racing. And, and I've seen some very good racers. And, and I've seen some not so good races, but you'll see that anytime, any week. Uh, so that's, I started in the modifieds, went up, they shut down Danbury. So we had to go outside and go, go to Stafford, Connecticut and New London. That was a Friday, Saturday, Stafford, Friday, New London, Saturday. But I did that for a couple of years. And one of the guys, the promoter at New London, Nick Williams, uh, they had a NASCAR North touring series coming in and they were the taxi cabs big cars and he said hey would you like to drive one i said absolutely why wouldn't i i was a young kid uh, had a big time uh, i was the the days of thunder movie yep when you got the war out the tires this is your way this is my way well that, that happened to me that night i mean it was the first time i ever ran a extra distance 150 lap race uh, in one of these cars so i i, I got into thing and started Eighth, tenth, well, hell, I went to the front. Uh, okay, I thought it was easy. Well, about 50 laps in, it wasn't as easy as the first 50. Uh, and I think I ended up getting lapped a couple times because I just blistered the tires off the thing. And uh, at the end of the race, I, I was upset because I wanted to win. And the owner of the car, an older gentleman, C.A. Crouch, he said, son, you just drove it too fast through the corners. And it took me a long time to realize what he said was, yeah, okay, you, you only have so much tire on the ground and you wore it out. Uh, so that was my first experience in a bigger car. Uh, and I really liked it. Uh, so the following year, myself and a couple of guys, we built one and we went NASCAR North racing. We tore up north and went to Canada, Vermont, Maine, New Hampshire, Connecticut, Mass. I mean, it was a wonderful tour. Raced to Dover, Delaware. Uh, Cayuga, Canada, to Quebec City, uh, to Montreal. I mean, it was, it was a wonderful tour. Ran that for two, three years, won the championship in 85. Uh, so then I said, okay, let's, let's, let's go south and let's try to compete against those guys. Uh, and uh, we did a few times. We did a handful of, uh, every year we did a handful of races down in the south. Always were competitive, always did well. 
average run in the top 10. Uh, and then about five or six years, you know, I didn't do a whole lot. Uh, and then I got a phone call to move south and take over for Jimmy Spencer. Jimmy Spencer was moving to the cup cars from the Bush series. And a guy had a, a Bush car that I needed a driver for. And six months after I got married, I packed up my bags. I said, honey, I'm moving south to, to go drive a race car. And I uh, left the family business. Everybody thought I was nuts, but I'm still here and they still think I'm nuts. So, uh, it's been a good ride. Uh, you always, like I said earlier, you lose more than you win. Uh, but I've been very fortunate that uh, when some, uh, I always remember the ones I left out there. You're a two-time Bush champion, 96-97, I believe? Yep. Can you talk yeah. us... Can you, what's that? Uh, um, I thought you said something because uh, the internet kind of cut out again. Yeah, it's unstable again. Uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm going to try and... There you go. I got you back. All right. Uh, so um, can you kind of tell us about what those two championships were like? Uh, who did you drive for? And uh, what were the... Who was your crew chief? And uh, what was... What were those years like for you? Uh, well, once... Uh, I've always seen that somebody was always going to Cup Series, whether it be Jimmy Spencer goes to the Cup Series. And... I went to the Cup Series in 95, 94, I, we drove, I drove full-time for Dick Moroso, and Fina uh, was a sponsor, and it was a, a great relationship, uh, you did really well, 94, we had a great year, we, it was the last year of those V6 engines, Yep. and I think we blew up 12 of them, so I think we were just kind of cleaning out the the garage at Moroso's uh, with the motors that they had. And uh, we were always in the front when we blew up. But so Dick Moroso, a good friend of my dad's, good man. Uh, when, when he lost his son, Robbie, yep. it, cha it changed him, which it probably would anybody. Uh, so I had an opportunity to go cup racing at the end of 94. And everybody, I had the glitz and the glamour. I said, oh, I'm going to be a cup driver. So in 95, I went cup racing. And about halfway through the year, it wasn't going well. It wasn't a lot of fun. Uh, got fired. Okay, now what? Well, I happened to, there was one guy in the, in the Bush series, always had Bush cars, always had good Bush cars. Uh, Dennis Shoemaker out of uh, Maryland. 64 Duraloop car, and he would never put me in the car. I, I would always ask to, to drive for him, and he said, no, no, no. He always had cup drivers. If you weren't a cup driver, he wouldn't put you in the car. Well, at least I drove the beginning of the year in the cup car, but he said, yeah, I'll put you in. So the end of 95, I jumped in his car and had great, great, great. We never won a race. Always was fast. And Johnny Benson was leaving the 74 Lipton T car. Yep. Going up. They were losing the sponsor. So I made a call to the CEO of FINA at the time because when I left FINA, uh, they had a wonderful program. Their, their fuel oil division was run by a guy out of Florida. The chemicals division was run by a guy out of Texas. So they did a lot of B2B stuff with all their customers. 
So they, they got the program and worked very well for them. So when I was leaving Moroso, you know, I talked to the CEO and I said, hey, Mr. Haddock, I said, these guys, your, your company does very well with how they treat uh, the sponsors, the hospitality people, your customers. I said, they, they love this program. It's a great program you guys have. And I said, don't get mad and leave the sport. Because I kind of seen the road Moroso was taking mentally and stuff. I was like, don't get mad at this because this, this game works for you. Well, they had a rough year, I think, when Moroso and Fina in 90, the end of 95, they already had a dozen race car drivers in the thing. They couldn't get nothing going on. Well, they were going to get out. So I called Mr. Haddock. I said, hey, uh, I have an opportunity to go back to the Bush Series in the car that's going to win the championship. They need a sponsor. I'm going to sit in it. They're not changing anything. Would you be interested in, in coming on board? And he was about at wit's end. So I made a bunch of calls to the fuel oil division, the chemicals division, to all the people I've met for the year and a half that we were together. I made a call to them, and, and they said, no, nah, no, nah, we're done, we're done. I said, come on, let's, let's do this. I said, the program worked. So the fuel oil and the chemical guys, they got together, and they really pushed it through. They said, okay. So they signed on for a year, but that was 96. Well, they took Johnny Benson's seats out and they put mine in. Painted the cars blue instead of red. Same team, Steve Bird, Billy Nazowitz was our car chief. Billy Nazowitz uh, was Richie Evans' right-hand man for his whole life. Uh, one of the smartest guys I've seen in this sport. Birdie's a smart man. No Birdie, New Hampshire guy. Yep. Grew up with him. Watching Steve him. Steve Birdie. So, uh, dealing with him. So we went racing. And, and I wanted to do as good as Johnny did as a Personal note, Johnny won two races, and he won the championship. So, I got in there, we won five races, won the championship. Backed it up the following year with five races in the championship. Uh, and then the year after that, the kid named Dale Jr. came in, and Jack uh, Kensif came in. And their teams were better than our team. So, I run third in points and then fourth in points. And then I ended up going to a different team. So, uh, but those years with FINA... Uh, they ended up, when I when I left, they got out of the sport, and they said, hey, we can't do this anymore. So I knew, I said, okay. Uh, and then I had an opportunity to go drive for old James Finch. And he didn't need any sponsors. He was his own. So that was uh, that was okay. And we brought Bob Evans in. Uh, they were yep. associated on, on our car. We kept them to, to come on board. So it's been cool to see the relationships I've had. And then I ended up going to drive for Kleenex. Yeah, um, so basically Base Motorsports and Bill Bumgardner and, and Old Birdie, they were on like that three-year run. You know, Johnny won yeah. two races. He was very consistent. You obviously were very consistent winning the five races two years. So they won basically a, a third of a cup season across three years. You know, two, five, ten with you, two with Johnny. So how did the whole broadcasting thing come about? Because I remember you commentating – um, crap. Which one? Oh, the the Napa two hundred in Montreal when it rained real bad. Okay. And Ron Fellows won that race. Uh, his his not necessarily his home race because that's not Robinson's from. But uh, then you also did ORP when Jason Leffler won. God rest his soul. Can you tell me how that kind of came about? 
I feel did, did I lose you again? Okay, my question was, how did the commentating come in place? How did how did that how did that come about? Oh, I'm having a few more internet unstable. Okay, you just came back. Okay, uh, the question. I don't know what's going on. I think it's with my internet, so there's nothing wrong with yours. This happens every time. I don't know why. But anyway, uh, my question was, how did the comment... Did, how did you become a commentator? Well, I mean, it wasn't... I didn't sure go looking for it. Uh, always got along good with, uh, with all of the commentators. Uh, always joked around with them all. And they said, hey... Uh, I think I did a couple TNN races with uh, Rick Benjamin. He had me as an analyst. And one of the ESPN folks said, hey, would you want to do some TV? I said, Why not? Uh, I said, yeah, I'd love to. And uh, it wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. A lot of work. Uh, a lot of homework. You have to as well-connected as you think you are. There's still a lot of homework to be done. Oh, yeah. Uh, I just started getting into the homework side of it, you know, being more prepared instead of just going off the cuff. Uh, you know, calling a race, when you're up in the booth, you just call a race or what's happening. But it's nice to know all the information about each guy you, you, you have to talk about. Uh, so that's something that, you know, it, it worked out okay. And uh, I had a good time doing it. it. It was fun. But then again, I'm not a blonde and i maybe not as pretty as some of these uh, younger guys. Uh, and the color of your hair seemed to matter, and I had gray, and they seemed like I might have aged out. So, okay, next, what do we do? All right, so we we touched on this uh, at the beginning of the interview when we talked about safety. Um, Corey was obviously in that big wreck with Ryan Newman at the beginning of the year. He hit Ryan Newman. Not Corey's fault. W what did you think about when you saw that wreck? I'm not sure what to think. It, 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 you just get a numb feeling because he he come on the radio and said he was okay. So I did hear that, and I was like, okay, that's a plus. Uh, so that's one out of the two. And, and until we see Newman walk out of that hospital on, on Tuesday, I, I thought. I mean, when I looked at the incident back on TV and seen the car bend in half and see where Corey hit him. To, to see Newman walk out of that hospital a couple of days later was nothing shocking. Uh, and that's one of the things that, that these guys have really have to look into it. Like I said earlier, the systems. Exactly. Don't work good. NASCAR worked really hard. I mean, Corey's movement on a 48 G hit was five, six inches, his body moved. Uh, and if it wasn't for the system, he would have moved 10, 12 inches. When you move 10, 12 inches, that's when you get into, you start hitting stuff with your body. So people don't realize the less you move, the better you're going to be. So um, on the topic of Corey, what was that like for you as a dad and, and a former NASCAR driver when Corey said, 
hey, I want to go race. He's been he's been ate up with this since he was 12 years old. Uh, that's something. I mean, I, I made him do his own cars, the Bandolero cars, the Legends car, Pro Challenge cars, whatever, late model, whatever he was in. I said, listen, I said, I'll, I'll help you as much as I can, but I'm not going to do it for you. And the home of your mom, I'll lead you in that direction. I was made to work on my own race car and get it ready. I'll help you with sponsorship. We'll buy whatever we need, whatever we could. But I'm not going to do it. I'm, I, I've been there, done that. It's on you. And he he did such a good job. He was so focused on what he was doing. I always had people helping him. Uh, when he went late model racing, I had an old chassis builder, Glenn Bopp. He was a Midwest guy, legend. Uh, that really helped him. The guy knew how to fabricate, could build anything. Well, today, Corey can build anything. And I, he learned a lot of that from Glenn. Uh, so he's learned a lot from a lot of different people, super talented on fabrication. Uh, and on a given day, he's as good as a race car driver, if not better than I've ever seen. So it's still a six-inch game. You know, if, if in between here, if – I could hear, if I listen on the radio, I could almost tell what kind of day he's going to have by just listening to his voice. Uh, and when he's on, you better look out. He's good. And oh, yeah. It doesn't take much to get him off, though, because if something goes wrong, and he's never been in the best equipment. He's always been second, third, third tier stuff, and, and he's outrun. You know, the okay and end cars that we built here, he raced against the Dylan Boys, Kyle Larson, uh, Bowman. He's raced against all those guys and outrun them. And, and, and those guys had, you know, cup teams. Chase Elliott would show up with a, with, a, with three former cup crew chiefs on his K&N car. And we had an old dually in a trailer, and we took the trophy home a lot of times. And Chase did it, and he was always behind us. You know, the Gibbs cars, they always had talented people in them. Uh, so... I, I given the right chance and the same equipment, I think Corey could be a, a, as good as anybody that we've ever watched. I agree for sure. Uh, that face car, though, that uh, that was pretty. Uh, that was a pretty creative idea. I will admit. I was. That was, just... a, that was a marketing company. Uh, Corey wasn't happy. He said, I don't want to put my face on a race car. Which I mean, drivers. I think if you're a core race car driver. You don't ever self-promote yourself. You know, you just let your actions speak. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that, that might not be a exceptional race car driver. Yes. But they're all the time talking. You know, just, okay, you know that guy is a race car driver. Well, does he win? No, but he talks a lot. So, okay, that's uh, – we are – me, myself, and Corey, we, we've never been pushing ourselves, patting ourselves on the back. Uh but when he had his face on that car, it worked out well. I mean, it, it was a hell of a promotion for those guys. And uh, then at Martinsville with the mask, I thought that, well, here's the story that I heard. Corey went to those guys and said, hey, remember the face car we did last year? Well, let's put a mask on it. So I thought that was pretty yeah. funny. And that, that, that was, this year, yes. yeah. And, and uh, Bubba's Black Lives Matter car. I feel like, I don't want to talk about politics in NASCAR, but. Since we're on the subject, you know, of that car, I think that, that that should just be kept out of it. You know, it's just, you know, I understand, you know, NASCAR has like this, um, 
stereotype, you know, Southern, Confederate. I'm glad they got rid of the Confederate flag. I do what you said about safety. That's how I feel about, um, that's how I feel about, um, accepting everybody because, um, maybe you could give your synopsis on this too, because my church, when we got our pastor that we have now, we've moved into a direction of accepting people for who they are. And that's what I've seen a lot of people in the, in the community do because, my area, I don't know if you've heard of the area, St. Joseph, Michigan is a predominantly white city, predominantly Republican. The Upton comp- the Upton family, Kate Upton's family, is from the area. Whirlpool, they founded Whirlpool. Well, that's in Benton Harbor. Benton Harbor is a mostly black city, and, and they actually started this movement. Do you think that NASCAR is moving more into a direction of being open and accepting, or do you think that that stereotype is always going to be there? You, you hope it goes away because it's been there; it always has. Uh, and you know, there's a lot of things in this world that that probably needed to be changed. Uh, it definitely needed to be changed, and it, it's a generational thing. I mean, my grandfather seen things different than my dad. My dad sees things different than me. I see different things than Corey. Uh, and, you know, I never got involved in politics because sometimes you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. And all we got is a vote. Uh, yes. They should, do a, they should do the right thing. But I think politics, at the end of the day, is just laced with money. And it's whoever, they all chase the money. And that's just wrong. That, that's those people in Washington were put there to do us a favor, not themselves. Uh, and somewhere across this country, whenever, how many years ago, somebody decided to make a nickel from politics, and it's gone crazy since. So, exactly. Uh, you know, what Bubba's doing, I, I've known Bubba since he was 10, 11 years old. Corey drove him to school. They went to school together. Good people, great family, uh, and going to racetracks when they race together, I would see the stuff that I would hear the stuff that people would yell at them and stuff like that. And that's just you know when you're a 15 year old, six, 16 year old kid, you know, I don't believe you need to be hearing that. Not, not not where we were at the racetrack. You know, there's probably a time and a place for everything if you're in a barroom fight, basketball court, whatever. But you know, there's Everybody should be treated equal. I grew up in, in, in a junkyard, my dad's scrapyard in Connecticut, so we had all walks of people come in. And you had to treat all of them the same because you're trying to get in their wallet to, to survive. Uh, so I have grew up listening. My parents, my grandparents always said I had a junkyard mouth uh, because of what you hear uh, from the people. And it's what happened to Larson. That's a tough call. Uh, just because that word sometimes it means bad, sometimes it don't mean nothing. Uh, so it, it's tough to hear that word being thrown around at a basketball court, and then a, a racer uses it and he gets in trouble. So uh, okay, you know that that word. I, I tried to get it away from my language. So I don't get Corey in trouble. 
uh, and I'm trying my best <laughs> to, to get rid of my junkyard mouth. Yeah, and you know, this is like like what you said about you know what what's wrong with the world, you know, um, what's going on with the NASCAR YouTube community, you know, over the past few months. You know, I'm I'm not gonna go into full detail about that because you know you're probably not interested in that, but um, you know, I think when Kyle, what Kyle Larson did, people are pushing now. I think that this is inaccurate to 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 um to speak about um, because I saw some people on a Twitter thread saying that NASCAR has hit the fans this year and that NASCAR is in trouble. I, I disagree. I think NASCAR is doing very well. I don't know if you saw um, th- this video. This guy named Eric Estep, who hosts the show Out of the Groove on YouTube, he shared some data that millennials oh gosh the internet is cut out again uh, the internet keeps coming in and out so i'm trying to i'm trying to make sure it doesn't do that but so um eric i, got, I, got, I heard i heard eric okay Okay, so his name is Eric Estep. He hosts the show Out of the Groove. He shared some data that millennials, you know, my age, you know, I'm 18 if you didn't know. People my age and his age, he's 23, like people from my age to his age, are actually becoming more interested in NASCAR. As a former champion, what do you think of that? That's great. I mean, it's, it's a great sport. Competition, racers are always going to race. That's one of the things that I've seen throughout the country going through these short tracks is racers are always going to race. Promoters, it's everybody's business models have changed in the last year. And they had to. Uh, some keep up, some do better. Some might not be so, so lucky. Uh, but anytime we can bring people into NASCAR as fans, you know, and see the competition, when you go to a NASCAR event and you smell, and that's a, there's you guys from 18 to 25, sometimes they don't even own cars anymore. You know, everything, they get Ubered and they go all over the place. So when we're losing people, I notice when I go to racetracks, there's not many of you millennials coming in, hanging out, working on cars. Uh, so anybody that does come in and gets a little bit of that tire smell, gear oil smell, racing smell, uh, it's good. We, we need that. You know, our sponsors, the corporate sponsors need that. So, you know, the more the merrier right now. Yeah, I, I don't think it's millennials. I think it's generations. I don't, I have my generations mixed up. So for, forgive me if I get that wrong. If you're watching via the YouTube uh, aspect, do not bash me in the comments, please. We haven't. I, I never really was into that type of stuff, but um, you know, we talk about going through the ranks, and um, I, I've done. I've written three articles. I wrote a biographical article about Johnny Benson. I wrote a concert review of the Green Day Wrigley Field concert, and I wrote the Jason Jacoby story. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version of that. He is an eye racer from Arizona who moved to Georgia. 
thought it would get him to NASCAR. It didn't, but but we didn't know what he was doing behind the scenes. I actually know some of the things he's done, but I don't know everything he's done, so I'm not going to share that. But uh, speaking of iRacing, what do you believe is the most beneficial thing uh, for iRacing? And what do you think is the most harmful thing about iRacing? I asked my friend Austin Aganowski about that. He's a Canadian racer um, up in Canada. But I want to ask you as a former NASCAR champion, what, what do you think, and you have a son that races, what do you think is the most, what do you think is, I guess, the best thing about iRacing? Well, I guess it keeps them out of the street uh, because they, there's a lot of people that spend a lot of time on it. My younger son, Casey, uh, was a good racer, uh, but he didn't want to put the effort in to maintain the car. In a 10-lap race, he would have three laps faster than everybody. The other seven, not so much. And I would ask him, why, what happened on this lap? Well, I missed it. Okay. What happened in this one? The fastest one in the race. Well, I hit my marks. Okay. Why don't you do that every time? Well, it's hard. Yeah, it is. It's not, it's not easy. Uh, so, you know, he went into the, he does all of colleague racing, social media stuff, video stuff. Very talented with that. He's a yes, track he is. He's a couple different racetracks. Uh, but he guy races. He guy races his ass off. Uh, and But he'll sit on, I think, three, four, five hours a night. Uh, and that's something I, I could never do. I mean, uh, Corey don't do it either. Uh, but I think there, there's something coming down the pipe, I think, for the next year is they're almost going to mandate the NASCAR guys to do nine events for iRacing. And which I, I don't believe that's good because, you know, Corey sold his rig and everything he had, sold it off. And I'm not much of a, a games guy. Uh, I, if I'm going to sit out for three, four hours, give me the clicker. That's what I want to do. I don't want to do nothing. Uh, and Corey's the same way. He won't sit there for three, four hours. He, he, he'll rather build something. Now he has a son. He'd rather play with the kid. Uh, so he's not a big gamer but it, i racing has it's amazing what they have done to mimic the racetracks and that's simply amazing uh, and it's really cool but then again you, you, people think they're race car drivers because they could computer race uh, and okay that's fine uh, they might not be able to back into their own parking spot outside but they can i race so that's a whole different i'm, I'm glad they're doing it because it, it, it gives a lot of people something to do Something to talk about. A lot of these sim companies are making pretty good money. Yeah. Uh, so that's just a little bit different. Uh, it's a different avenue that, that we're living in. Yeah, and you know, like you said, you know, the thing about, I, I mean, I'm not going to go too deep into the Jacoby story, but he would sit on his rig for 18 hours and stream. He would be late to work. You know, he. I heard I he neglected his child when he had a child. So like all this was going on, we didn't know about it. Like, but he does have something. I think some of these people... Now, I, I have not just seen this just with him. I've seen this with other racers, but his is more of an extreme case where, like, this just takes over their mind and they say, oh, I can be a race car driver. I think Jason's mental disorder just kind of kicked in and said, hey, if this is, this is 100% real, I got to do this. But, you know, I don't want to go too deep into that. Uh, he helped set up a sponsorship with somebody else um with ryan, for ryan sieg at least to my knowledge but 
that's that's another story in and of itself that leads into another story that that's just I, I can't even describe all the crazy things that have happened this year. Um, uh, Noah Sweet, uh, the guy who designed Jimmy Johnson's Texas car, was on here uh, about a couple months back. I, I quite enjoyed that. So, I, I, you know, it, it's been a lot of it's been a lot of fun doing this podcast. So, uh, yeah, thank you for uh, taking the time to sit down with me. Uh, do you have any questions for me, by the way? Um, because I know we've talked about quite a bit, and uh, the floor is yours at this point. No, I'm good. I mean, this is a – it's something. I mean, I, I racing is sort of like the phones, you know. It was funny that the, we were sitting at lunch the other day, and I had a screen report pop up. And both my boys were sitting here, and then they're like, what's that? I said, oh, I said my screen report was up. 10% last week that I was on the phone, I guess, an hour and 10 minutes a day. And they both looked at me like, really? I said, that's a long time. I know. I, I probably need to put the phone down. And they both shook their heads. They're like, no, nah, we got eight hours on ours. We got six hours on mine. I was like, ah, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> so my, my screen time is way far off than a lot of people. Uh, but then again, People under 35 years old, they live on that thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I, I, I'm not quite sure if, you know, how you get anything done. If, if, if you have a job, that's very tough to hold that in your pocket and, and watch people do stupid shit all day. Yeah. <laughs> my, my grandfather uh, used to be a salesman. He actually used to work with Johnny Benson's ex-wife for a few years, and uh, he worked in sales, used to go to – North Carolina quite a bit. He'd be on his, I'd be at their house. Um, you know, they'd be watching me and he'd be on the phone. We were on our way to Michigan one time. He, he was on the phone. Uh, so we'd be going out to lunch in the car at, at the local Cracker Barrel. Cause the, um, uh, downtown, well, not really downtown, but we're all, a, uh, there's a street red arrow highway in Stevensville. I actually, uh, I live in St. Joe, but they live in Stevensville. And, um, there's a lot of restaurants down there, and on the way over there, he'd uh, he'd be on the phone. But uh, my my grandpa's 69 years old, so he he recently retired. Uh, but you know, like like I've said, you know, I I you know, I I've enjoyed sitting down with you and hearing the story from a grassroots racer. We need more guys like this. In Johnny Benson's Pub Table Racers interview, Warren Brosell said. You know, that, that's how you started. You know, you started, you know, especially in his area, your dad raced or your granddad raced or your friend raced or whatever. Grand Rapids is actually more of a uh, of a boxing town. Floyd Mayweather's from there. I don't know if you knew that, but. Uh, the money team. Is he still up there? <laughs> the money team racing. Uh, Slap Shoes, I heard, was going to put that on his next episode of Liars, Thieves, and Lawyers because. I heard they were they just used his name and he wasn't actually associated with it. So I don't know. Slap shoes is the only person that could probably answer that question, but we'll just have to see what uh or maybe Darian Gilliam aka Black Flags Matter could uh could analyze that, but uh I mean I mean, you know, on that topic I want to ask you about that because uh I I have two questions for you that this one just popped in my head. Darian is 23. Eric's 23. Jarrett Lumberg, the 
the iceberg is about, I think he's in his early twenties. I'm obviously in my late teens. What do you think we bring like our, us being this age and being in, in this community? What do you think this does for the sport? Oh, the internet connection went out again. I don't know if you heard that last part of the question, but I, the last I heard was iceberg. Okay. Uh, so what do you think like Jarrett, um, Eric, Darian, and myself, what do you think we do for NASCAR? Well, anytime you could sit here and talk about it and whoever's listening, watching, listening, if it, something sparks an interest and they watch an event and they see a car that they like and they buy the product or they like that driver and buy a hat, all good. Two thumbs up. Uh, so... I think what all of these things are doing to help the sport, I and mean, I love the sport we're in, and anything we can do to help, I'm all for it. Yeah, uh, the, they, Jarrett, um, Darian, Eric, and Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. Danny B. Talks, all host the NASCAR Weekly Podcast. I don't know if you know about the NASCAR Weekly Podcast or if you've heard about it. You can check it out on YouTube. Or Corey, Corey does one, I think. He did one. Yeah, yeah, he was on that. I watched that episode. I was in, I was in the chat that that day, and uh, I told them that they should get you on, because, uh, like I said, you know, you know, true grassroots racer. Um, so my my question that I wanted to ask you is, what was your time for base motorsports like? Obviously, two championships, and you worked with Old C Birdie and um, Bill Bumgardner who obviously worked for Johnny Benson. We heard Johnny's story in the Pub Table Racers interview. I don't know if you know who Tim Pacman and Warren Brosell are. I know Tim Pacman. I know Pacman. Yep, we love Tim. He was on uh, Pastimes about six weeks uh Yeah, six weeks ago. Uh, I, see, I seen him in Hickory a couple weeks ago. Yeah, so he uh, he was on. We did a nice little interview. He told me some, he told me a story, a few stories, you know, about Benson, Gordon, Earnhardt, you know, guys like that. Um, so. Uh, what was your time for base motorsports like, and uh, what was what were those guys like? Great, I mean, it was a, it was a great time. Anytime you could win a couple championships, uh, it was wonderful. I mean, here I, I moved down from Connecticut, working in the junkyard, uh, not knowing what market value was for drivers. You know, I was very happy when the man says, "I'll pay you seventy five thousand dollars a year." Know, when you're making twenty five thousand dollars a year, it's a hell of a race. And I, absolutely. Uh, and then you win a championship, and you know the guys, race car drivers, are all a little bit funny when it comes to the personal finances. Yep. And they might tell you a little lie about how much money they make, but you know when I win the championship, and the guys behind me are making four times the money. I was like, really? Uh, so then, the second year, I got a raise from seventy-five thousand to one hundred twenty-five thousand. Just still a lot of money. Exactly. So, but when I'm racing against guys that are behind me, that are double my salary, you know, you always question that. You're like, why? So after the first two years of doing what we did, there was negotiations for the following contract, uh, and I just wanted market value from where I was worth, uh, and. That started it downhill, so that's one of the one of the life lessons I learned is don't don't argue about money. I mean, if you're making some 
You know, I mean, but I just wanted to be treated fair. And if Bill was, Bill Bumgarner was a little bit different. Uh, his fair, my fair were a little different. So, you know, after a couple of years, you know, okay, I'll go do something else. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. The, the crew guys, the women, my wife still gets together about a couple, three times a year. They all come over to the house, they all come swimming, they all barbecue. Uh, so it's, it's been a good, uh, it was a great time. It was a great time. And, and you can never take the champion tag from me. Okay, yeah. I might have did it for free, but you know what? I, I, I did it. And uh, you can't replace that. And the, the manufacturers, people I've met, you know, car parts people, you know, I still have a great name in the industry in the parts industries and we go to these trade shows i know everybody a lot of them uh, a lot of guys are aging out but uh it, it's it's been a great run i mean it's been a great sport here that's for sure yeah um you're from you're from danbury connecticut correct Bellwall, Connecticut. Yep. okay so jerry nadu's from danbury yep are you Is that my dad raced together did you you raced against him i believe too correct jerry, yeah. okay. how's he doing if you're, if you're still in contact with him. Okay. You know, I mean, he does okay for having a serious brain injury. I mean, he's, he, he's probably come back to 80% from where he was. Uh, so, you know, his quality of life is different than it was. And, and it's his, he was in that area, in that time zone. Uh, Adam Petty, Tony Roper, Blaze Alexander, Kenny Irwin. We lost those guys, and he was right there. And, and you know, the, the industry didn't pay attention to why we lost those guys uh, and hurt those guys enough uh, until Earnhardt. But once Earnhardt passed, NASCAR said, okay, well, we're going to fix this. We'll find out, and we're going to help the drivers. So if something does happen, they'll be able to climb out and go home. Uh, and so NASCAR's done a great job with the, with the safety aspects of these cars. Uh, and too bad Jerry was on the beginning end of that. Yeah. He, 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 we would have known today what we know today. I don't think he would have been injured as bad as he was. Yeah, President Trump actually said something about that during the Daytona 500. That's what he said he likes most about it. And, uh, you know, I I was a little upset about Trump being at the Daytona 500, but I was like, you know what? He's the president. Anytime the president's there, it's a big day. It's a big event. It, it was an amazing feeling. When I was there, it was, I just got goosebumps uh, from being there. And the, the electricity yeah. of, of, of him being there was insane. I mean, uh, the protocols we had to go through. Uh, oh, yeah. It, it's amazing to see what we're capable of. <laughs> yeah, e- even now. Uh, pr- were you there when Bush was there in 04? No. Well, yeah, it probably was, but I don't, I don't remember the people like we had this February. I mean, and, and that was, it was cool to, to see. Corey drove the Trump car earlier this year. Yeah, oh, yeah. But uh, I'm not going to get too much into that. I, But I am excited. To, I, I mean, I was more on the other side, and I am excited to see history in 21 days. I, I do think that that's good for the country. And I, I was shocked that Trump agreed to go to the Daytona 500. I was just like. The president's going to go to the Daytona 500. It doesn't shock me, but I, I do think it's cool that we are still able to reach out like that, like you said. And, uh, you know, he, he's 
He was very, and seeing that, as much as I dislike him, and I don't mean to get political with you, so please don't think I'm trying to get political with you, but the two images from NASCAR, three images I'm going to remember from NASCAR this year, Ryan Newman's wreck, the passing of the torch in Phoenix, when the high five between Chase Elliott and Jimmy Johnson, and the beast leading the pack of cars in the Daytona 500. I was just like, seeing that on the track, I, I wasn't there. I was watching the Daytona 500 in the room that I'm sitting in now on my TV that my dad got me for my birthday last year. It's just like, this is cool. I don't remember 2004 all that well, but I'm going to remember this. I was 17 at the time. I turned 18 in October. It was, it, it's just one of those things, you know, it, uh, but you know, um, what's the biggest or best piece of advice that you would give to someone who wants to be a race car driver. And also when you said that Jerry's at 80%, is it like he had to relearn like how to talk and stuff? Cause I don't remember that too well. Like what exactly happened? Uh, he hit the wall left side, spun around left side. I do believe his head hit the wall uh, without any containment on the left side. His head hit the wall and it didn't do him any favors. So it's all internal head injuries. Okay. You know, he's still, his balance is a little off, his memory's off, but he is he is definitely better today than he was a year out from the accident. Every year he gets a little bit better. Uh, so, But his quality of life, I, he, I don't believe he's ever going to be 100%. Uh, very similar to Steve Park's accidents. Oh, yeah, Steve's a good guy. Steve Park is probably 90% of what he used to be. Uh, but he, he's, he's a, has his own business and he does well, so... It's uh, if somebody wants to get into this sport, number one, you protect yourself with the best you can. Don't don't skip on your safety equipment. Uh, number two is it's a wonderful sport, wonderful people in it, and it's something to do if if you're a car guy and you're a competitive guy. There's nothing better. There's nothing better than than having a good day at a racetrack. Yeah, I definitely agree. So uh, before we wrap it up here, um, yeah, if you have any questions for me, I'm, I'm happy to answer them. I'm all good. All right, this has been Randy LaJoy on Pastimes.